Hey everyone, what's going on? I'm uh, sitting here looking out the window and it's a rainy day today, uh, but I am feeling much better. So thanks so much for praying for me. Uh, let me pray for you and for our time today before we jump into the reading. God, thanks for the gift of life and whether it's bright sun or dark clouds, uh, we're grateful for the opportunity to live and to learn from you and to experience life with you. And I do pray uh, that for each one of us during our time today, um, that we would experience the life that you have for us. Um, it, we, we just put ourselves out to you honestly now, God, and give you the authority to uh, lead us and teach us in any way you see fit today. Um, we know that you always have our best in mind. So we look forward uh, to what's going to come of our time today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to read Exodus chapter 11. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. As you know, yesterday our reading covered the first nine plagues that the Lord brought on Egypt um, as his attempt to get Pharaoh to relent in his oppression of the Hebrew people and to release them for a festival to him in the wilderness. Uh, of course, uh, we didn't get to read all that together because the passage covered several chapters, but I hope you had a chance to work through them on your own. Um, it's with the plagues that, uh, for me anyway, the narrative of Exodus really accelerates. And it's with today's reading in particular that we start our ascent to the climax of the story. It's no coincidence that two weeks from today, we will be ascending another mountaintop as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in memory of that final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he would be betrayed and executed. That meal was, of course, the, the Jewish Passover meal, part of the celebration during which God's people commemorated his delivering uh, their Hebrew ancestors from slavery in Egypt and setting them on course for the rich, fertile land he had promised them. 
The, the Passover continues to be celebrated today in Jewish communities all around the world. And it's a, a time not simply to look back, but to look forward, to, to look forward to a greater promised land when God will rescue his people from the dysfunction, disease, death, the destruction of this present age, an age that some of us believe already began when Jesus came to earth. Whether or not you're a person who believes that, though, I think that today's passage is very important for us. It's important because we see the main problem that keeps us from God being brought into clear focus. We see this problem uh, embodied in the person of Pharaoh. And of course, it's the problem of sin. Unfortunately, I know some of us bristle at that term because it's been used and, and misused, frankly, uh, by people both inside and outside of the church to condemn guilt and shame. It's a, it's a term that has been used with the goal of making people feel bad about themselves rather than being used to reveal uh, the antidote for bad news, the, the good news that is available in Jesus. But before we go on, I need to say that on behalf of Christians everywhere, I'm deeply sorry if you're listening and you're somebody who's been hurt by the misuse of that word. My intent today is not to make us feel bad, um, but as I said before, to help us be aware of what keeps people from God. It's going to be up to each one of us to decide how we will respond to that awareness. I want to be clear that I'm referring to sin in the sense of the, the big S sin. Little s sins are individual acts of disobedience, like when we disrespect our parents or harbor jealousy at a neighbor because they have better stuff than us, or when we cheat or gossip or whatever. Jesus is my Savior and Lord, and I am not completely free from little s sins. And honestly, I won't be until I'm on the other side of glory. Big S sin is a condition of our hearts. Uh, the, the, when I say heart, I mean the center of who we are. Remember that in several of our prior devotionals, we've defined sin as rebellion against God. It's an attitude of thanks but no thanks to God. It's refusing to recognize him as God and, in fact, to actually assume his position as the ultimate authority in our own lives. This was the posture that Pharaoh exhibited throughout the Exodus narrative and that is further reinforced in today's reading. The effects of this condition of sin are devastating, first for ourselves and then for others. And the text shows this to us. Look at verse three. After nine plagues, the Egyptians become favorable to Moses and to the Hebrews. I think they got it. They could see clearly that they were up against something way bigger than themselves. And, and I believe that they were ready to surrender. But then there was Pharaoh continuing to, to dig his heels in and refusing to listen to his advisors. He was bitter and, and stubborn, and he was being ruled by his pride. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this. 
Pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between people, but enmity to God. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. He goes on, Pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. We see this in Pharaoh. He was discontent. He couldn't think clearly. He chose the silliness of fighting a God he couldn't beat, even though the consequences were that many people's lives were on the line. He had become heartless towards them. Uh, put simply, sin steals and destroys our lives. Do you remember Genesis 1-1, the start of the Bible? In the beginning, God. In, in other words, God is the source of life. There was nothing except for God when the earth began. And therefore, all life comes from him. Not only does God create life, but he's the only thing that can satisfy and sustain it. There are many examples that could help us here. Uh, for me, one is of a, a tree trunk and its roots. A, a tree can't detach itself from the roots and attach itself to anything else and hope to live. In a similar way, a, a, uh, we couldn't take the cord from a lamp and plug it into the couch or to a book or, or the root of a plant for that matter and expect light when we turn on the switch. The tree trunk and the lamp have unique power sources and unique ways to connect. And whenever they're disconnected, they either die or they're useless. In the same way, we sin when we claim we can live on anything else other than God. And we're cut off from the power required for us to live a full, meaningful life. And I'm not simply talking about living in the physical sense, but spiritually and emotionally too. No human has the capacity to send themselves to a positive preferred afterlife unless it's an afterlife that they've made up in their minds. None of the world's major religions give people the authority to do that. In, in the same way, I don't believe that we're capable of loving ourselves enough to provide the emotional stability required to be a functioning member of society. Now, I understand that this is counter uh, to many popular opinions in our day. And I also understand that in an age of social media trolling and constant competition and criticism, there is a certain sense in which self-confidence, or excuse me, self-acceptance is appropriate. I simply don't believe that we can will ourselves to a place of what I'll call soul stability, in which our thoughts and feelings about ourselves are completely unaffected by the circumstances and relationships of our lives. At least I've never met anyone who has that capacity. The condition of sin disrupts the relationship between people and God and disconnects them from the complete and full life that he offers. Pharaoh's pride stole his relationship with God and destroyed his ability to live. I think an interesting question to ask is who would choose this? In other words, let's assume the Bible is true for a moment. 
let's assume that God created us and he really is the only thing that can give us life and satisfy our souls. Let's also assume that we have a choice to either believe that or to endure the consequences of becoming, uh, as Lewis described it, without the chance of loving or receiving love, discontent, and lacking common sense. Honestly, who would choose that? The reality is that every person needs to ask that question and consider which side they're choosing. And I think that if we're honest, if, if you're like me anyway, then we've all been Pharaoh at least once in our lives. We've all disobeyed God. We've all dug in our heels. We've all tried to plug in to other things in life and we've become disconnected from God. The good news of Jesus is that there is a remedy for pride and a rescue from big S sin. It's him. Jesus is our remedy and our rescue. We, we can't undo our worst moments of pride, but we can give them to Jesus and by faith receive his life in return, his full life of constant, unbroken relationship with the Father. I encourage you to take time today to consider how all of this applies to you and what an appropriate response might be for you. Do you need to be honest with God about an area of your life where you're digging in your heels and resisting him? Maybe you're uh, in a position where you're sensing the need to finally surrender to him. Will you? Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, I encourage you to act on it today because I'm confident that God wants you to experience the full life that he has for you. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for these friends um, and for the fellowship that we enjoy around your word. We thank you for speaking to us truth, even when it's hard truth. And God, we know that you tell us the truth not to condemn us or to make us feel bad, um, but you tell us the truth so that we can experience full life. So I pray that for each one of us, you would show us what our response needs to be today to experience that life and give us the faith to move in that direction. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.